Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Brutal Reality Digest online podcast, also known as Bird Drop. I am pleased to welcome Christina Ofcherik. Did I say it right? You did. You did wonderfully. From Exhale Brewing, all the way in Calgary. How's it going today? Amazing. It's uh, it's kind of actually snowing down here, but I did put a new beer in can today, so uh, so it's a good day. It's a good trade-off. Get new beer to <laughs> to deal with a little bit of crappy weather. <laughs> it's awesome. So this is the first time I hear at uh, Bird Drop we've done a video one. We probably won't publish the video, but this is a a new sensation for me. So you know, I can actually see her. I can see that look of disgust on her face while she. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> But yeah, thanks a lot for agreeing to do this, Christina. Um, I've been seeing your your brand all over the place lately, so it was good to connect. So, how the hell are you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a really interesting week in industry uh, from from a global perspective and as a woman. Uh, so so you know that's actually a very layered question. Um, but in general, uh, I'm I'm I'm, com- I'm coming out of uh, 2020 um, scathed, but definitely healing. Um, and yeah, looking, looking forward to seeing, um, the tides turning in, in what we've got going forward. So yeah, it's, it's a very late question, but in general, I have a beer in my hand. Um, I have a roof over my head. I have amazing community and, and life is good. It's good to hear. So was I correct in saying you're based in Calgary? Yeah. Based in Calgary. Um, I've been in Calgary for six years now. I've been in Canada for, almost 12 um on and off i was i did 10 back-to-back winters uh before finally settling excuse me settling down in lake louise and then banff and then um out here in in calgary so yeah so but uh, my beer is uh my beer is province-wide and also in saskatchewan which is pretty cool um and looking to hopefully get it across canada at some point it's awesome so let's back it up then where did you where did you originate from and what brought you to Canada originally? Uh, yeah, so I come from Melbourne, Australia, so the most southern tip of the, the mainland. Um, and I actually uh, was a skier. And so I came across um, to go skiing in the mountains and uh, worked with Banff Alpine Races and uh, worked in a medical clinic in Banff and managed the bar up in Norway. Um, did 10 back-to-back winters between uh, here in the Southern Hemisphere and then um, finally just came back, long story short, came back and settled settled here, yeah, six, six and a half years ago, so. Okay. So that's kind of right before the craft beer booms kind of started happening? Yeah. Um, it's been really cool to watch that happen over here. Um, I was actually one of the OG members of the um, – the Banff, uh, the Banff Beer Club, uh, when they opened up on uh, on Banff Ave down down in Banff, and um, there wasn't really anything quite like it at the time. I was uh, pretty much engaged to an American. Don't hold that against me. And he was from um, he was from Santa Rosa, it's out in the northern part of California. And that, uh, for anybody who knows craft beer, is is a craft beer mecca out there. That's where Pliny comes from, so Russian River. Um, <clears throat> and I lived literally about 15 minutes away from there. Um, so I fell in love with craft beer, yeah, probably 11 years ago is when I was first introduced to it out there and, and got to know, um, you know, the processes of brewing and, and travelled around a bit for craft beer. And 
uh, when I got my PR back in 2000 and what year are we in now? Uh, I can't remember. We're in case okay, so of 2015, I think, is when I got my my permanent residency. Um, I gave my career in um, in athlete management um, and and sports and recreation management, and gave it the flick and, and started to work my way through the craft beer scene here. That's awesome. So you've been like, yeah, because for me, I didn't really start getting into the style of beer till you know five years ago or so. Because it just wasn't really around, aside from Brewsters and probably Alley Cat and that, right? So, what's what was Australia like for that? I know you said you weren't into it till you came here, but is, is there anything like that going on there? Yeah, there's. Uh, it's definitely going on down there. Uh, we have some of the best hops um, and barley in the world, also coming from Australia, especially out from around the region um, in the in the northern foothills um, where I'm kind of from. Um, there, we're definitely behind the U.S. over here in terms of where we're at with our craft beer scene. Uh, we're behind uh, Quebec. Um, one of my favourite places, actually, in the world is uh, is out through Quebec and Montreal and Quebec City for for craft beer in Canada. Um, we are definitely catching up, though, um, and it's been wonderful to be part of the scene over here and see it grow in the ways that I um, I was I, I watched it and fell in love with it um, over in the States. Yeah. So with Exhale, which is your your own brand, mm-hmm. how did you decide to do this? Like, do you have a brewing background? Because you were saying you were in sales and whatnot. Did you? How did you get into this side of it? Uh, yeah, so um, I would never call myself a brewer. Um, I have uh, brewing ability and I have brewing uh, brewing knowledge and I have um, some technical background and um, I know how different flavors work and ingredients work together. Um, I do a lot of my test brewing with a wonderful, wonderful um, human and friend of mine, um, Paul Heslop. He's actually the um, home brewer of the year for, for Canada uh, in 2020. Um, he's one of the yeast wranglers here in town and, and one of my one of my good mates. He was my COVID cohort um, and still is my COVID cohort. Um, so I owe a lot of uh, – we make a really good team together. He's very by the book and, and very traditional generally in his style of brewing where I'm a little bit more left of centre and like to throw different things in the mix. I'm very good at taking traditional recipes and flipping them upside down and using some different techniques and using some different ingredients to give them just that little kick of unique. So one of the things I'm actually drinking right now is uh, is a Belgian Saison, a 6.3 Belgian Saison. So sitting around kind of like uh, the DuPont, uh, which is like your classic go-to um, Saison. Uh, they're my favorite. It's my favorite style. Um, and I took that style and I used, um, you know, a bittering hot magnum and then all late edition, um, this fancy French hop called Barbouge, uh, grown out of the Alsace region. Um, and I did all late edition and then I did a massive dry hop with this, with this hop and it's got like these lemon balm and berry notes. So you're just kind of taking different ingredients and using them in different ways and kind of flipping, flipping things upside down. It's the same thing I did with my Kolsch as well. So I didn't do any normally Kolsch's, you do all early edition 
um, uh, into the boil early edition hops. Um, but what I did is I took an Australian hop called Topaz, which is a derivative from the traditional noble hops that you use um, in a in a Kolsch. And it's grown in Australia, so it uses that terroir. And um, also it's crossbred with another hop. And so I use all late edition. And then I did a big dry hopper galaxy on that, um, which is traditionally not done. And then use those Southern hemisphere hops on, uh, on a more of a traditional um, uh, German Kolsch base. So that's the thing that I do. I, I do really well. Um, the process of it, I'm, I'm always going to hire a brewer to, to do that big process part of it. Um, but around the recipe development and, and putting the beer together from a, from a small batch perspective um, is, is the thing that I do. And then, of course, my, my sales and marketing background. So. Okay. So exhale, I typed that into Google, and then a hookah bar came up. I assume that's not you. <laughs> so you had mentioned doing – contract brewing do you so you contract out your brews at this point you don't have your own tap room yeah so i contract out right now um what happened in 2019 is uh i lost my corporate marketing job sorry 2020 uh, due to covid and i uh, had a bit of a plan and i was going to stay in my my job for the next couple of years and i've been working on exhale as a brick and mortar plan kind of kind of over the last decade kind of you know in the background just working on it um, anyway, I found myself without a job. My partner broke up with me. Uh, aunt died in Australia. I had all this, like, shit happen. It just, anyway. And I kind of was, like, grasping onto things to, like, keep me going. And I was like, kind of, fuck it. I'm just going to do my thing. I've I've helped build um, other people's brands. And I've helped put their brewery together. And um, I'm going to do this thing for myself. So I took the savings that I had. Um, and I, I kind of pity partied my parents um <laughs> i've got married i haven't had children i'm probably not gonna have children i'm almost 40 like this is this is my baby right i, I need i need some cash basically that's what i'm asking <laughs> i need some cash so i come from a privileged position where i was able to my parents were able to throw me a couple of thousand dollars um and started this up on a on a um on a, on a, I don't like to say shoestring budget, but a spaghetti budget or a two-minute noodle budget is what I like to call it. If you've ever been a seasonal worker, you know exactly <laughs> what that means. Um, so I, I'm really grateful that uh, I, I came from the place with, with the experience and the knowledge that I did have and the context contacts that I had to be able to do what I did. And, and I kind of flipped my, my brick-and-mortar model, model upside down and, and created – my brand and uh yeah i'm pretty proud having got to i haven't i haven't borrowed any other money um and kind of been been running it myself um you know two minute noodles taste good i guess (laughs) (laughs) i'm not a seasonal worker anymore (laughs) i got beer and noodles what more could you fucking want in life (laughs) what more would you need Um, but basically Excel was, uh, the whole premise of Excel is, is creating space, uh, for people who traditionally haven't had space created for them. So I'm super ADHD. So I'm, I'm neurodivergent, a little bit on the spectrum. Um, got diagnosed at 35. So I've lived most of my life thinking what the fuck is wrong with me. Um, and it's, it's ADHD is actually like the disability of champions. Like, let's face it. Um, I'm also a bi woman. So, and I've lived most of my life in, in the closet. So sit, sit in, sit in the LGBT, uh, T I T Q, um, sphere as well. Um, 
and you know, I've always been a woman in a male-dominated arena, whether that's from um, you know the sports. I'm I'm ex Muay Thai, uh, Jiu Jitsu, MMA, um, and then you know I've always been in male-dominated arenas as far as career and workplace. So um, you know, I'm I'm blessed and privileged that I'm white and I speak English, um, which which is my privilege. Um, but XL is is to create that space and, and help others kind of breathe a little easier because they can speak their truths and um, we're kind of cheeky and uh, we definitely don't mess around. We, we cut straight to the chase. I mean, I don't know, you can't see, but I've got my Just Be Fucking Kind t-shirt on because um, that's our motto is, you know, it's, it's provocative beer for conscious thinkers and drinkers and connecting people through craft. Uh, I want to give voices to the people who don't always have their voice because they're drowned out by mainstream yeah i'll drink to that even though Sweet. I'm, even though i'm a white dude but <laughs> cheers you know what the thing is um there is nothing it's not about apologizing for being a white dude it's like understanding your privilege of being a white dude and using that privilege to like better the community around you. And, and that's where I use my privilege. You know, I'm, I'm white. I speak English in a, in a, in a first world nation. Um, I've come from a working class family. I've never had to need for anything. I've always had everything that I've needed. I've had to work for the things that I've wanted. Um, but I got my education. My parents paid for my education um, and, and helped put me through school, um, although I still do have a massive higher education debt back in Australia, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I live here now. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I've I've had my points of, of privilege and I, I try and use that to, to better the community. So it's not about apologizing for who you are or, or being ashamed of who you are. It's about understanding I'm fucking grateful for the skin that I'm in. I'm really fucking grateful for the body that I'm in and the country that I live in. How do I use that to like do better for other people? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of jumping ahead, but I kind of noticed on your, your social media, you kind of talked about, you know, like having conversations rather than just, it's kind of what you said, instead of just attacking like some people want to do. Like, let's bring these people that you may not agree with them. Let's bring them to our side. Let's explain, you know, rather than just vilifying everyone. Is that kind of what you're trying to get across? It's called a call-in culture um, is what I'm trying to create. And, you know, there is a little bit of a call. You, you have to have a little bit of a call out of like, hey, shit, that's not fucking right what's going on right now. Um, but I think there is some merit and, you know, I've been part of call-out culture before as well. Um, I'm vice president of a really amazing um, uh, political action committee called Look Forward Calgary, and, and we're a third, essentially a third-party um, organisation that helps uh, platform MLAs and uh, mayoral candidates coming up to the October elections. Um, and I'm very privileged and grateful that I sit as VP as part of this organization. And one of the things that we talk about in our organization is, is calling in, um, because what we're trying to do is create a thriving uh, and resilient and inclusive um, Calgary. And to do that, we have to take a majority of the people, which is 33% of our population that sits in this middle band, and we have to call those people in. We have to call them over and 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 get those people who are hesitant about stepping away from certain norms that have always been traditionally thought as that's the way that we need to follow or that's the way that we need to go. Um, 
the people on either the far left or the far right, they're generally gone anyway. Like, but, but it's, it's, it's those other people that we want to be able to provide this place of compassion and vulnerability to create that, that resiliency um, and that thriving and that, that inclusiveness. So yeah, that's, you, you nailed it. Smack on the head is, is bringing people in um, rather than shaming them for, for who they are or, or what they're doing. Yeah, it's like you're only as strong as your your weakest link, right? So if you if you just break it off, it screws everyone over. But if you try to build people up, I think it's going to be a better a better outcome. Easier said than done. I know that it's easy to say it while you're on the internet, but that's it's great that you're trying. And yeah, I'm happy to help you spread the word for sure. Thanks, mate. So back to beer. Well, I guess it, it's kind of going to come back to politics, although I'm not a political. Try not to be political, just because I'm not that smart, so no one should listen to me. But uh, So the beer that I first saw of yours, this is probably your most famous beer, you'd say, is your, what is it called, actually? The Impeach? Impeachable. That Impeachable. was my first, yeah. The first one you did, yeah. So I'm just yeah. curious, because, as I say, I don't want to get too much into politics, but you've lived in Alberta for however many years, you said, like... There is a lot of people that actually enjoy that dude, which I was surprised when I was like, look around. I didn't see, I don't see the appeal, but I was just wondering, did you get any backlash from people for using his likeness on a can? Um, not really. Actually, I thought I would get more, to be honest. Um, I actually have insurance that protects me from hate crimes. So, <laughs> yeah, true story. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, the people who are going to know about uh, my brand and the things that it says in my beer probably aren't going to be the people who are generally shopping around in that particular part of, of, of the liquor store. Um, and I, I was never – I think one of the things – I had a lot of – I had quite a few people – in industry and and from externally saying you know is this what you want to do I don't I think this is too risky and I'm like for, I've been shunned and told that I can't say certain things because of who I am or my certain beliefs at the end of the day who we're talking about is an extreme misogynist um, he's super overprivileged he's a racist um, so I made a beer that made fun of him. And I and I released it just before the November fourth elections, and I did it with a very intentional narrative around this is what except we don't stand for the shit that this human stands for. We we don't adopt that. And um, no, I'm not worried about if you don't want to pick up my cans because you don't believe in our ethos, that's fine. But you're probably still now going to be intrigued. And you're still probably now going to watch what I'm doing. And in the famous words of Madonna, you don't like me, but you're watching what you're doing. Bitch, you're a fan. Like, thanks, Madonna. Peace. <laughs> I'm a child of the 80s. Can you tell? <laughs> well, that's good. I just, you never know, because I'm always shocked when I'm, when I see like a Trump flag flying in Alberta. I'm like, what country am I in right now? Like. We have Trump flags. We have Confederacy flags. Uh, just last week, uh, was it last week or the week before? Somebody put a Nazi flag up. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, we've got it. We've got it all here. And the thing is, um, we do need to acknowledge it. But how do we? How do we change that now? How do we change the people who think that that's that's okay? 
how do we change the people around them that maybe are swimming in the shallows of that water and bring them out of the depths of that water? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I'm not a, I just not that smart at policy and all that, so I don't try to get on a soapbox because I don't know. So I don't, I don't think I could run anything. I can barely help run this zine, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like it's healthy to have conversations about where our tax dollars are going. But when, yeah, as soon as you start flying Nazi flags, like you're, you're going, that's, they're still coming back from that. That's, yeah. you can't defend that and be like, Oh, it's good for the economy. Like, nah. <laughs> like I don't think so. No, I'm going to use, you're a see you next Tuesday. That's what you are. <laughs> Yeah. Like, so. that's if you fly nazi flags that's that's what's happening there yeah but that just because you're talking about colo culture or whatever i just i see a lot of people on all sides of the spectrum that they don't even know what something is they just kind of grab it and oh what's this and then all of a sudden there's an uproar on the internet about it even though they took it out of context so I'm just, i was just wondering if you know some random <laughs> lack of a better word, redneck town in America found out about your beer and all of a sudden. Like- no, um, some really cool stuff. Um, my beer ended up in some beer trades um, back and forth, which are over the border. Uh, people, there, there was a few breweries across North America. Um, also, there's another amazing brewery in Australia um, called Spark Brewing. And um, they, uh, they did an anti-Trump beer as well, which was really cool. Yeah, they did a, they did a, a beer as well but yeah my beer actually ended up in some beer trades because people saw it on um on uh, untapped and and kind of saw a little bit of the stuff going on and was like I, who, who can send me this i want to <laughs> get these cans but uh fun story the beer is actually impeachable is uh is it's an amazing beer as well like it uh it it uses 390 kilograms of, of peaches in a in a 30 hectolitre batch. So that's 3,000 litres with 390 kilograms of, of peaches. Um, has a has a pretty heavy dry hop on it. Um, it still has got like it's kind of like if a if a saison a uh, a New England pale ale and a and a fruit beer and a wheat beer had a love child. This would be this would this would be the bastard child of, of that love affair. Um, it's an amazing beer. It's super dry. I love it. But it's actually going to go under a make makeover. So the last of the stock that's left now, um, they're going to be collectors cans. So grab them now. Um, because it is going to go away for a little bit and it's going to get a little uh, makeover and, and come back with same beer, but come back with a different message. Perfect. Yeah. I'm Honestly, I don't care for wheat beers normally. I don't know. There's something about an aftertaste I noticed with a lot of them. I'm not going to name names, but other beers, but that one. I, so I, I bought it being like, I like this can. I kind of knew your story a little bit. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy this. And I was pleasantly surprised. Like I didn't get the weird pencil crayon shavings that I get finished to some of those fucking wheat beers. I just can't do it. I use a, I use a, a yeast. I actually use an English yeast on it. So I use, um, a a non, once again, a non-traditional yeast on a wheat beer, which, which gives it a little bit more, which adds to the fruitiness. Um, it gives a little few more esters. uh, So you won't get that kind of crayony, um, you can get when you use some of the American, um, American sort of ale yeasts. Um, on on wheat beers, yeah. Once again, just just kind of flipping flipping the the turning the tides on on a few little things with that beer. So I'm really glad you like it. A lot of people think they're going to get something sweet, uh, really sweet, and some people are disappointed. But I think one of the things is a lot of people are like, oh shit, I didn't realize it was going to finish dry. 
and I didn't realize that it wasn't going to be overly sweet. And I was like, I don't, I don't do overly sweet beer. It's not my thing. I put the fruit in on uh, day four of fermentation. So the sugars get, um, fermented out. Um, and it's, uh, it, it, it's like kind of picking, it smells like a fresh peach, right? Like if you picked a fresh peach off the tree, it's not, it's not peach candy. I don't use additives. I don't use any extra flavings. It's, it's all hops and it's all, it's all fr- uh, fresh puree. So when you're in, inventing these beers in your brain, how close are you usually, the finished product, are you like nailed it or you're like, oh, I didn't quite get it or how, what's your percentage here? Um, well, it goes through test brews first, right? So um, it's not very often you nail something. Um, the other thing that you do, and I just had a really great conversation with my buddy Damon, who's one of the owners of uh, Common Crown. It's we, we call it the call to Jesus moment. Um, <laughs> where you've got a brew in the tank and you're like, fuck it, I'm going to do something a little bit outlandish here and I'm going to add an extra two and a half kilos of dry hop and see what the fuck happens, which is actually kind of what I did with uh, with this next beer that I'm putting out, the Belgian Saison. Um, I ended up adding an extra three kilograms of um, of dry hop of the Barbarouge. I'm so glad I did because it's, it's delicious. Um, but, yeah, sometimes you have a call to Jesus moment during a commercial brew and you're like, screw it, I'm just going to do it and see, see what happens. <laughs> and you, you, you use an educated guess of what's going to happen and you do the math and you work it out and you're like, yeah, this will work, this will work. Um, but generally you go, through a, you go through a test brewing set cycle first. Um, so normally do like a, a 5 to 15-gallon uh, test brew and split them up into five gallons and do a couple of different dry hops on it and see what happens um, and do a couple of different things during that process. Um, and normally it'll take two or three test brews until you're like, yeah, sometimes you get the first test brew and you go, nailed it. Yes. That's <laughs> awesome. We're going to go to, we're going to go to commercial brew now. So, and it's different in some, and generally then you get you so used to your systems, your big commercial brew systems that you just know how that system's going to behave. You know, when you put certain ingredients into that system, what's going to happen. So you can put a recipe together without using a test brew. I tend to always, I think we'll always do a, a small test brew though, just to, just, just because I'm using different ingredients rather than traditional traditional things yeah for sure so what's your what's your beer count at then for exhale um third one will be released next week so that's the belgian the part one uh of the saison series part one uh says the saison series one part one will be released next week and it's called uh they weren't raging against white goods and it's a commentary on <laughs> you know you see you're laughing there <laughs> i think i know i think you know what i'm referring to <laughs> so it is uh it's a commentary on the absurdity of 2020 and mixed into that how uh you know 20 people 20 for 20 years uh people were fooled in to thinking that you know rage against the machine were raging against white goods and when they found out in 2020 they were a progressive leftist band they sold their <laughs> They were union tickets, so a lot of us were really happy about that. Um, but that beer, ba- the beer basically um, makes commentary on that. That's awesome. Yeah. You won't do what they tell you. <laughs> Sorry, can resist. Maybe you guess the name of the next beer that comes out. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> There's a part two to this series. There is a part two to this series. I bet you, if you could, if you could get his number, I bet you Tom Morello would be. 
would be down to participate. In yeah, I'm actually going to tag uh, Tom Morello and Zach De La Rocha. Zach De La Rocha is like like a personal like um, hero and human human of mine. So I uh, yeah, I super I super think uh, yeah, Zach De La Rocha is who's a great just someone I looked I've looked up to for since I was I was really young. So. I've I've always enjoyed Rage. I couldn't afford the tickets for that concert that didn't happen in Calgary. Sure, is it going to happen eventually? Once <laughs> did you guys get reimbursed on your tickets? Again, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I've, I'm holding on to a couple of tickets. I'm actually holding on to tickets to one of the best beer festivals in the world that I've ever been to, uh, out just outside of Montreal, called Food Uni. Um, and it was supposed to happen this year, but not happening this year. So we're waiting for 2022, and it's going to be wild. And I'm pretty sure when uh, when the Rage Against the Machine um, concert happens, it's yeah, I might not come home alive. Let's just fuck <laughs> paint. <laughs> yeah, I might have to try to get some get a ticket for that, but I don't know. I have to remortgage my house or something to pay for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So for your personal favorite beer styles, what is, I know you mentioned you just love Saison, so that's that's your go-to? Yeah, Saisons, um, I wouldn't say it's my always my go-to. Um, Saisons are definitely my favorite style. Um, I love the intricacy and nuances of Saisons. I love a super dry beer, and Saisons, are, that's what they, they're, they're super dry. I love the iterations of Saisons. I love Brett Saisons. Um, yeah. I just hey, explain to me the appeal of Brett because for me, it tastes like a barnyard smells. I can't do well, Brett. You don't, like horse, you don't like licking a horse blanket. Um, well, I didn't say that. That's not such a conclusion. <laughs> Brett can be done really, really well. It can also be done really, really poorly. Um, so there is there is definitely the fine line around that. Uh, for me, I love farmhouse styles. That's that's my palate. Um, Brett will dry out a beard or give, um, it doesn't always have barnyardy horse blanket. Um, when for me, I like Brett to be kind of a little, you know, goat's cheese. You get that little goatiness to it. Um, and I love it when it brings out, uh, you know, old orchard and stone fruit, um, you know, being able to coax it to bring out the, that old orchard stone fruit, uh, characteristics of it is, is what I really enjoy. I, I'm a farmhouse girls so that's that's yeah it's my jam we'll have to next time i see you you'll have to be like try this one because every brett when i tasted them like this is like <laughs> drink some gasoline to get this taste out of my mouth this is horrible <laughs> every time i see people that are like yeah we got this new brett beer and it's like Ugh. what am i missing so maybe i don't know you got to show me a good one because those the ones i've tried have been revolting to the Next level. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. If you like Brett, good for you. Brett says <laughs> <laughs> it can be done. As I said, it can be done wonderfully, and it can be done very poorly too. So, yeah, same with podcast hosting. Yeah, it can be done wonderfully or very poorly. There you go. You get it. You get it. You get it. <laughs> like finally, you get my like nuanced comparison. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Christina. Well, I really appreciate you chatting with me. I guess. I'll just kind of give you the floor here. Um, what do you want to see in the industry going forward? I know you're really pushing for inclusivity and, you know, just making sure everybody feels welcome. So I'll just give you a bit just to positively rant about about that. Sweet. 
Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's my main thing. Um, I think when we open up our spaces and we open up our ability to create a space without judgment, um, and stop marketing and it's not, and you know, I was having this conversation, um, with, uh, with Bill Robinson over at Alberta beer festivals, um, who's another amazing human. Um, and it's not about marketing to women. It's about or marketing to a diverse crowd. It is about creating a space um, that isn't necessarily about mainstream um, and having space that um, has visual representation of people from minority groups. Um, you know, starting to work with Alberta Small Brewers Association on the diversity committee, and hopefully we're going to be able to create a, um, a paid scholarship to be able to do that and work with different groups within our community um, to create more opportunity for minorities because right now um, that's a thing. It, it's, it's generational why we don't have these opportunities right now. It's, you know, I talk about... I've had people say, you know, why are all these women, you know, entrepreneur grants? I was like, well, general generational wealth traditionally is not passed down to women. We are generally the people who stay at home and look after families. I forfeited having a family to have my career. I had a man tell me at a conference once to expect a lonely life because a man doesn't want to date a woman who is better at his own game. Um, there is these things that in sebaceous um, cultures and bias and misunderstandings and even um, just blindness to certain things that until you're not in that place of privilege, um, you know, and, and when I said this thing about, you know, the passing down of generational wealth to women, um, which is one of the reasons why is there is a, a, a gap in, in, in wealth between when men and women, let alone that through high school um, and through our, our formative years, we're pushed into lower skilled education which gives us lower skilled, lower paying jobs, generally within service. Um, we're not pushed into technical skill trades. I was the only girl in what would be called um, uh, material, we called it materials technology, which was essentially woodwork and metalwork and electronics and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I, I was the only girl for a couple of years in those classes. They actually used to have to lock my work in the teacher's office so it wouldn't be destroyed. Um, and I had my hair singed by hot air guns a couple of times because I was the only girl. So that's another story. Um, but there is these generational things that, that through time, um, both from culture, colour of skin, gender, sexuality, that, that uh, community and society has excluded certain privileges. Um, so being able to open up those opportunities and once again calling people in to see that we're not these mad people wanting to take over the world. We just want to create more opportunity for the people who haven't had 
that opportunity or that space created for them. So that's my rant. Yeah. I love it. That's great. So I guess is your, is your end game. I know you mentioned the brick and mortar and you had to pivot. Obviously it's probably not a great time to start when the last year with all we're going through, but when things settle down, everyone's vaxxed up and things appear to be opening again. Is that something that'll be back on the table? Yeah, it's a brick and mortar has never been off the table. It's definitely still on the table and working on it. The whole idea is um, to be able to have a con- excuse me, um, be able to have accommodation services, um, camping facilities, uh, big open spaces. Be able to have festivals and um, music concerts. And um, I'm basically taking my experiences of all my favorite places around the world that I've traveled uh, for not just beer. Um, but, uh, the experiences that I've been able to share in once again, my very privileged life of traveling the world, um, and, and roll that into a place that, uh, that, you know, selfishly, there is a very selfish part of this. I just want to put this out there. All I really want in life is a little cabin on the back of some water so I can fall asleep to water every night make good beer and be able to have all my friends come over and camp and then have my ex race horses come and live with me for their forever life after they finish their racing history. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm just selfishly that's and, and climb trees and play in the dirt. That's all I really want to do. <laughs> a small girl with small dreams. Right? <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So when you, when you do, you're looking to, uh, what's the word? want to say man up but that's completely not what i want to say but (laughs) man up isn't the right word but to employ people are you going to be looking specifically to employ people that maybe aren't getting a chance and in other walks of Um, employment it's a really interesting question because on my employment um kind of plan i put the other days hire a man um which is part of my diversity plan um and also because golf courses generally won't talk to me. Um, so <laughs> I need to penetrate a part of the, I need to penetrate main mainstream. Um, the, <laughs> um, uh, I think what I want to do when I, when I look at employment strategy is bringing in people who are part of the vision and the dream, bringing people who are aligned with the company um, ethos and, you know, I want to be an employee-owned cooperative, um, which if you're not familiar with that, it's more, it's a it's a, it's a corporation that involves more of a diplomatic um, kind of process to it. And it also allows employees at some point to own a share, their own shares in the company. Um, so it's creating, um, once again, breaking generational poverty and trying to sever that um, and putting, you know, financial literacy into our bylaws so then you can understand how you get to the point of owning a part of this company and being part of something bigger than just yourself and breaking the cycle of, of where you've come from or where you think that that's your destiny. Um, so it's it's not – I'm not looking at potential – I'm not looking at, you know, always, you know, colour, gender – whatever i'm looking at people who want to be part of that vision and i think that people who want to be part of that vision and who want to be part of that culture are generally going to come from a diverse nature and walk of life anyway so 
Yeah. And I, you know what? I want cisgendered straight white men to come and be a part of that. I fucking want that more than anything. <laughs> you guys have the, the loudest voices. Use it. We are right here on the Brutal Reality Digest online podcast. <laughs> All right, Christina. Well, I really appreciate you. Oh, let's try this again. I had a couple beers. Appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, I wish you best of luck with, with the new beer launches. And hopefully old Tom Morello gets back to you. Or Thank you. Zach. Cheers, Josh. And you can take this to the, or keep building it in the way you want to. I look forward Thank to you. seeing it happen. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Brutal Reality Digest online podcast, better known as Bird Drop. Make sure you're picking up a copy of the physical zine and checking out other episodes. We'll be back again next month. Until then, stay brutal. I come from Melbourne, do better. I come from Melbourne, do better. I come from Melbourne, it says in my beer. I come from Melbourne, do better. You won't do what they tell you. Do better. (laughs) You won't do what they tell you. Do better. (laughs) I come from Melbourne, do better. I come from Melbourne, do better. I come from Melbourne, it says in my beer. I come from Melbourne, it tastes like a barnyard smells. (laughs) Bird drop.